This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. Here on Reality Check Radio, um, you can email me at 2057. No, you can text me at 2057. You can email me at inbox at rallycheck.radio. The reason for that little fluff was I've got a listener favorite back. And sometimes I like to call her Sally, but her actual name is Kathy Jameson. And I know that I'm going to get texts and emails because Kathy is a star. Kathy, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Look, um, I actually went to bed last night excited because I got Kathy Jameson on because you are like the nerd's nerd. You are the person <laughs> that does the deep dive into the data and then explains it all. And you're sitting there listening to you talk and it's like, oh my goodness. Oh no. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And when you email me, say, oh, look, I, I might have something here. I've been so excited. So um, I'm fizzing a little bit. That's all. <laughs> And I promised myself not to call you Sally. But oh, to be fair, listeners can't see you. I can see you. And you do look a little like a Sally. <laughs> you look like a, you look like you could be a Sally or a Kathy, but I've got Kathy now in my name. Kathy, tell us what you've discovered. Take us through it very slowly. Yeah. Um, and take us through how you came to discover this. Well, Beginning of last month, I put in an OIA request. That's an Official Information Act request, which they're required yes. by law to answer with any information they have. This is government, right? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, look, I didn't at the time sort of have any specific reason for asking it. But as you know, I, I trawl through all of the questions that other people ask and um, just keep an eye on what's happening there. And I realised that, you know, you know, there's often talk about overseas or, you know, that that all the products are not the same. And I don't necessarily buy into that, but I thought, well, nobody's actually asked that question. And so I put in an OIA request and my question was, has the product composition of community changed at all for the over 12s between its introduction in February of 2021 and the introduction of the bivalent in March of 2023? That's a very straightforward question. Yeah. And who did you put that question to? I put it to, well, I wanted to get to MedSafe, but to get to MedSafe, you have to, I had to put submit it to the Ministry of Health. Okay. So, so there, that wasn't the only question. So I then went on to say, so if so, can you by composition category give me the batch numbers when they were first imported into New Zealand? where they were distributed to and when they were first administered into consumers. I don't like that word, but that's the word they use. Mm. So that was the question I submitted at the beginning of August. And I, I got an answer back and um, from Chris James, who was the head of MedSafe, 
And he, his answer was, one sentence, the qualitative formulation of the 0.5 milligram per mil product has not changed since its initial approval. Well, that's a red flag. Yeah, yeah. Because qualitative, actually, what does that even mean? It means there's been a quantitative change, (laughs) but not a qualitative change. Well, yeah, I, I... I'm exactly, and I'm not exactly sure what that qualitative that's, word means. That's not even. That's not even. That's incoherent. Well, that that word qualitative was interesting, and so was the insertion of 0.5 milligram per mil product. Ah, so, so that's a particular product. Yeah. So so I sort of went back. And I said, look, I'd like Chris James to revisit um, my OAA request, please, because I did not restrict my question to a 0.5 milligram per mil product. Um, and I did not ask um, for, you know, whether there'd been a composition change in respect of any qualitative descriptor. So no. can you go back to my initial question? And answer it. Now, what was interesting was by the time he answered me, I had discovered something I didn't know when I put the question in. And and that was that there had been, um, there were two different colour-capped vials for the... um, 12 and up population. One was purple, and that was the initial product that um, was first brought into the country um, and had to be diluted and kept at ultra-cold temperatures. Now, I I was reading through the data sheet, and I thought, what's this grey-capped product? What's that? So there was this introduction of a grey cap vial which did not need to be diluted. So so that sort of kept me busy for a couple of days. Now, and do you remember when we heard there was this announcement and I, it must, now that I know what I know, it must have been near the end of 2021 or the beginning of 2022 that it didn't need to be kept at ultra-cold temperatures anymore? No, I don't remember any of uh, that. Well, there was, there was talk of, I remember this announcement by Ashley Bloomfield that there was, a you know, something had made. Sir Ashley. Yes, yeah, Sir Ashley, that, that didn't need to be kept at ultra-cold temperatures. Now, um, I think that was this change where this grey cat product was introduced. Mm. I mean, I certainly didn't pick up at the time that it was a different product. I, I think I just assumed that they discovered that it was stable and they yes. didn't need the ultra cold temperatures. Yes. But, but perhaps I wasn't perhaps I wasn't listening closely enough. But you know, I'd have to. I'd have to say I was listening pretty closely and if I didn't pick it up, then I would question whether that, you know, enormous team of communications people that we've been paying for on the taxpayer dime perhaps weren't 
at the top of their game communicating mm. this message, but that's by the by. Um, but so so the difference between the products, as far as I can see, is the buffer, which is sort of you've got the active ingredients, which we don't know what they are. They're sort of proprietary to Pfizer, and they're suspended in a buffer, or they're in a buffer in this vial, right? Now, the buffer changed at the end in December of 2021, and that's the difference between the purple cap and the grey cap. Mm. And that's so, the difference between it needing to be ultra-cold. Diluted or not, or yeah. ultra-cold temperatures or not. Yeah, as far as I understand it. So I went and, ha- I went and had a look at the regulatory footprints. And uh, just excuse me there, Kathy. The regulatory footprint. Oh, well, that's my term. I, that's my term. It's kind of like, okay, well, if these things were introduced, then there has to have been um Some you know permission. approval of it, a data yeah. sheet, gazette yeah. notices, all that sort of thing. So Got that's it. what I mean when I say the regulatory footprint. And yep, sure enough, sort of in December of 2021, we we had this new grey cat product introduced, and it differs from the purple cat by these buffer ingredients. Um, but then I thought, well, hang on a minute, what's going on here? I'm looking at the old buffer ingredients, and so. What they also did in December of 2021 was introduced a new purple cat product that still needed to be diluted, but that it had a couple of new ingredients in the buffer that the other one didn't have. And they those ingredients were hydrochloric acid and sodium hydroxide. Now, chemistry was not my favourite subject it's at school and I, I can't talk on it at all but that to me looks like they're sort of playing around with the ph of it somehow so now we have three products yeah we, we have we an don't... original purple cat that needs to be ultra cool and cold then we bring in a gray cat that doesn't need to be diluted and kept ultra cold and it's got a different buffer. But there's also another purple cat that's got added ingredients. Yeah. Have I got that right? You have. Cool. I don't know about you, Kathy, but it sounds like it's an experiment. <laughs> well. <laughs> In live time on us. Well, it. It sort of certainly looks like, you know, that way because, you know, the New Zealand public don't, were not made aware that there were different products in circulation. Now, when when there was a something published for um, the introduction of the bivalent to by IMAC, so instructions to vaccinators, they actually say 
at that time, we, you know, we will not be using the purple cup, the purple capped product any longer. So, but that was March of 2023. So, so this introduction of the grey capped product happened in December of 2021. So my question is, all the way through 2022 and possibly the first few months of 2023, how many different products did we have in circulation? Indeed. Just, I know this is obvious to you, but because I don't pay attention because I was never lining up for a vaccine, what's the bivalent one? I just knew there's that okay. word. So the, the bivalent means that it, it supposedly has um, the capacity for you to make antibodies to two different, well, sorry, no, that might not be right. It has two different strains in it. So bivalent, two two varieties. So okay. the so the initial product just had the wild type, you know, that appeared okay. in Wuhan. Whereas the bivalent that we have got and that we're using in New Zealand um, has got half and half the original wild type and the um, uh, Omicron B. Yeah, four, five Got it. Got it. variant. So it's producing so two things types. To, things to supposedly deal with that. So two different yeah. spike proteins are being produced. Yeah, I guess. And but. what what Saucy Wiles would say, oh, Kathy, 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 you know, poor Kathy didn't do chemistry <laughs> at school. This is just, you know, an inert thing that we just suspend the actual ingredient in, and it's meaningless, right? It's just like sugar and water or a bit of salt and water. This is no big deal, Couldn't, wouldn't she? She might. Who knows? Who knows? But, I mean, this is not something I know anything about but there was a present there's a presentation that I've watched by an Italian immunologist and he talked about something that he said was the patent for the lipid nanoparticles yes now I found the document that he was referring to and I'm not sort of clever enough to go, oh, yes, this is definitely the patent for the lipid nanoparticles because it's another language for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it it did have the words in it that he was um, talking about. So I need to get, you know, somebody, I've got a couple of people that I'm thinking of that I'll send it to to kind of translate it for me almost. Um, but what that, talks about was a PBS buffer and the PBS buffer is what was in the purple cap um, purple cap vials 
and it says that the lipid, it seems to be saying, and, you know, this is very, I have to use my words very carefully because as I as I say, I can't actually understand it. But what this Italian immunologist was saying was that this, this document says you shouldn't use a PBS buffer or sodium chloride with the lipid nanoparticles because it's unstable under physiological conditions and could aggregate. Oops. So, you know, that's that's very much, as far as I'm concerned, still to be confirmed. I'll be really clear on that. Yeah. Um, but I did listen to his presentation. That's what he said. I looked up the document by, by searching in the toolbar lipid nanoparticle patent <laughs> This thing came up. I found the words that he had highlighted in his presentation. So that's about all of the um, verifying I can do. So the but, suggestion is this change in that solution or the buffer was for a reason. Might Possibly is trying to make it less dangerous making it more, quote, stable in physiological conditions, which is inside your body. Mm. And correct me if I'm wrong, the lipid nanoprotein wraps around the mRNA so that it can penetrate the cell of your body and then get to work on your metabolic machinery in the cell. And there's a suspicion correct me again if I'm wrong, that that lipid nanoprotein may indeed be regarded as a foreign body and spike and immune response, as well as, in fact, the spike protein. Have I got that? Well, sort of I, right? I, I remember back, I think it was those MAC minutes, um, and they said something like, you know that the heart, the stability of the half life of the lipid nanoparticles looks unusual, but considered not to be a problem because there's only going to be two doses. Oops. So that was said. I think you know that was documented on about the third of February of 2021 when they were pushing the approval through. And I've never seen anything that goes back and looks at the safety or stability of those lipid nanoparticles now that we're, um, you know, looking at more than two doses for a lot of people. What do you think, if you had been assiduously vaccinating or having this gene therapy or, as I call it, having just the jab, and you had been scrupulous every time a health official or Mr. Hipkin said, time for another jab, you lined up and got one. How many would you be up to in New Zealand now? Well, if you're not immunocompromised and you didn't have three in your primary dose, so if you just had um, two in your primary dose, then you would have been eligible for your first booster in... Um, around November, and then you could have had your second booster in July of 2022. 
And if you did, you could have then had your bivalent in March of this year or April of this year. So that would have you right. up to five. Um, now, I think, how long ago was March or, or let's say April now? May, June, July, August. So so the new data sheet for the bivalent sort of allows, it doesn't, in the beginning, the data sheet was just two shots and then two shots and one booster. Um, and then they never amended the data sheet, which I've talked about before for that second booster. They just amended the Medicines Act to allow for it to be done off-label. But when the data sheets came out for the um, bivalent, they were designed in such a way that it was open-ended. And as long as there was an interval, uh, which I can't remember whether that interval is four or six months, um, then a person could just keep getting them. Deepest creepers. So, and so, yeah, what did I say? So was that five? Five. 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 You could have had five. And they yeah. said it'd be okay. And this is them if because we're only anticipating two. Now, we are following you. I should just tell people that are tuned in that you're on Rally Check Radio. On Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, we've got the wonderful, gorgeous Kathy Jameson, who's been looking at the changing formulation of the jab that we've had in New Zealand. And we're up to four types. Everyone is familiar that a bivalent came out, which was to attack two varieties of um, COVID. But there's also been shifts in the buffer and different caps and there was a shift to a new buffer and then there was a purple cap that kept it so there's sort of three circulating and Kathy was alerted to this because she got an obfuscatory reply in one sentence which had two red flags in it from MedSafe and on her own efforts, found out through the regulatory footprint or all the documents put up describing it, that there were these three. And then she'd sought clarification under the Official Information Act back to MedSafe. And we haven't got an update from that. Have we heard back from MedSafe? Yep. No, we've had a bit of argy-bargy since then. Oh, I love your argy-bargy. <laughs> when you say argy-bargy, I get a wee quiver down my spine because it's always fun with you. I can imagine, I can imagine there's a team of bureaucrats sitting at their little cubicles and they say, uh-oh, we've got another email from Kathy Jameson and sort of there's buzzers sound in Wellington and they bring in the spin doctors and the political operatives because Kathy Jameson's emailed us Tell us about the argy-bargy. Well, so so when I went back and I said, look, I, I, I want you to revisit or ask Chris James to revisit that answer, please, because, you know, my, my question was, has the product composition changed? I didn't ask in relation to um, whether it was, point, you know, 0.5 milligram per mil products, and I didn't 
didn't ask with regard to a qualitative descriptor. So then I got back um, an answer that said details regarding quantitative formulations are withheld under 9.2b2 as I've considered the countervailing public interest in releasing this information and consider it does not outweigh the need to withhold at that time, you know, words that we've all committed to memory. So I wasn't very happy about that because um, my, my question was, has the product composition changed? Mm. That's a yes or no mm. answer. I'm not I'm not asking for qualitative or quantitative. So um and now somebody had very kindly who'd been following my request and they must have been as exasperated as me because they had made an annotation and they tagged in this report which is the Ombudsman Commercial Information Guide of August 2019 and it was actually really good because it said things like a mere assertion of prejudice will not be sufficient and nor will vague unsubstantiated references to commercial sensitivity or confidentiality. Agencies must be able to demonstrate how release of the information of issue would be unlikely to unreasonably prejudice that position. So so when I went back to them after after that, I, I, I quoted that that it's not good enough just to say, um, you know, we we withhold because we've considered the... I, the I pulled down the cone of silence blanket and just to clear this, they have to be able to explain why this. Yeah. And then? Yeah, well, I, I sort of wrote quite a long letter um, because... Now, what did... Yeah, so it all, this report also says um, if Section 9.2 um, is, sub, is su it's subject to a public interest test and agencies must consider the countervailing public interest and if the public interest in release outweighs the need to withhold, the information must be released and there are public interest considerations and one, and they are transparency in the conduct of public sector procurement, very, very relevant in this situation, accountability for regulatory agency function, mm -hmm. and I'm going to come back to that one in a minute, um, and promoting public safety and consumer protection. Mm, all very important. They're all very important. And the report then goes on to say, if an agency is a regulator, which MedSafe is, it may hold commercially sensitive information about the quality of a product or the practices of an organisation. There are strong public interest arguments in allowing access to information that will help protect the public from unsafe products or practices. Now, I'm not I'm not saying that their practices are unsafe, but what I did point out to them in the response was that there's a very strong public interest argument if there have been differing products in circulation. Absolutely. And 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 showed them a, uh, evidence of a product insert from the United States, 
where the product insert actually says, you know, there are two different products, this one containing this, and they're their buffer ingredients, and this one containing this. Ask your vaccinator which one is being administered. So in the US, they're being transparent with the product insert. I mean, I'm not sure whether in practice the person getting the vaccine in the US actually gets to see the product insert unless they ask for it. But it's Um, there at least. But it's there. You're asking for it and it's being hidden. But it's not just being hidden up front because their first reply was obfuscatory, deliberately designed to mislead. And then their second reply was to pull down this commercial thing. So they're desperately working to prevent this information going out, grabbing hold of straws each time. Mm. And there you are doggedly pursuing it. And um, when they're doing this, they have to be doing it for a reason. Because if there was nothing suspicious, they could answer. If there's nothing, if there was nothing to be embarrassed about, they'd just say, here you go, here's what we've got. Oh boy. So then what happened when you explained what the ombudsman says about these matters? Well, I'm still waiting to get a reply. What what I then went on to say is I I, I reiterated my initial request and I sort of labelled all of the questions, you know, one through to four and and sort of outlined why I thought what they had said didn't apply because mm. um, they weren't, you know, question one was just a yes or no answer. Has the product composition changed? Yes. Um, question two was, you know, if so, um please provide, you know, by composition category, batch numbers um, and when they first arrived in the country, you know, and I said that you don't need to give me any quantitative formulation. You just need to, you know, give the composition category a name and list the batch numbers and the dates. Question three, same thing is, you know, where were they um, distributed to by by composition category? Where did those batch numbers go in the country um, and to be administered? And on what dates? Same thing. It's a composition category, batch numbers, and the dates. So none of their answers made any sense compared to the question that I had asked. No. So... What's that led you to conclude? Well, I I can't conclude any more other than what you just said at this point, yes. which is it looks like they're being deliberately obfuscated. However you say that word, obfuscatory. And, I've and got a word I can say. Wow, and they don't, they don't want to answer my question, which makes me a bit uncomfortable and disturbed. <laughs> well, it's particularly disturbing. Because this was a product that was mandated. Hmm. This was a product that people were required to take to have a social life 
and oftentimes to keep their job and career and their house. And we live in an age where government is supposed to serve us and to be open and transparent. And where they're not open and transparent, they actually have to have a very good reason that's in the public interest. These guys, whose only interest should be to protect us, when you ask them the question, were obfuscatory, and then pulled down any old grab bag out of the act and asserted that, in contradiction to everything that the ombudsman has told them mm. about how they should behave. Meanwhile, there's been these varying batches uh, injected into the population. Who knows who's got what batch? People don't know. They've not been told. They've not even been told that there's a different batch. And we're told, don't worry, we're the source of truth. Trust us. Follow the science. And they wonder why we have this deep unease and this deep level of trust, which I have never had before. Mm. Mm. Like, because the deliberate misleading of us, which is what is happening to you now. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll just maybe say something in response to what you just said. There's a regulatory footprint that indicates that there were, um, through 2022, different products available for administration and approved. We don't know what went where. We don't know what was used. That's what I'm trying to find out. And if I had been vaccinated, I couldn't, I should be able to go back and say, ha, huh, I see there were three circulating. Which one did I get? Well, um, yeah, yeah, you should be. It's What's interesting is um, there was something came out of South Africa in the last couple of weeks. I haven't looked into it deeply, but I think that they go to court and yes. get the contract. Yes. So all the previous contracts that have been circulating and supposedly leaked so we were never really sure about their um about their sort of validity had always had this claw this phrase in it where um the purchaser agrees not to do any serialization and that south african um contract as far as i can see has that in it also what's that now mean? well i don't know exactly what it means but it sounds like you're not going to sort of you know serial number or batch number you're not going to kind of wow um cold record of that against so rodney hyde had uh number xy2356 on such and such a date uh, Kathy Jameson had ACD 
X, Y, Z, one, two, three on such and such a date. That would be what I'd take to be a serialized. Well, they seem, yeah, they seem to be. I mean, I think people's medical records are holding their batch number, but is it something? I mean, my question is: is it sort of batch numbers against adverse events or batch numbers against product type? You know, what does that actually mean? Um, I don't know what it actually means, but I find it a very interesting sort of statement to potentially have been included in um, the Pfizer contract. You know, we don't want you looking at what serial numbers are doing what. <laughs> we'll do that, is kind mm. of what it says to me. Um, so where to from here, Kathy? Well, so I'm waiting. I'm waiting to hear that from um, the OIA team or Chris James. What was interesting was the last response I got, whereas it said that, you know, the countervailing, the, the, the public interest doesn't outweigh the need to withhold it this time. Someone had considered that and they said, I consider that it does not. But the letter itself was signed by the OIA services team. So I asked for clarification about who was referring to themselves as I um, because I'd like to know who's actually saying that yes. the public interest doesn't outweigh the need to withhold. Mm. So I thought that, you know, because I, when I'm on FYI putting in these questions, I go by Catherine Jameson, so C-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E, and Jameson with an IE. So if anyone wants to go on to FYI and look up my name, they'll see the OIA requests I've put in. So they can look at this whole string. Now, my next step, I imagine, is going to be going to the ombudsman, and we all know what the, how, long that takes. What, how long that takes. But, you know, I'll do it because I think it's just um, something that needs to be done in this case because it's that important, even if it's just a matter of record rather than result. But, um, you know, if anyone wants to annotate <laughs> this string and say that they think, you know, that they're very interested and they're a member of the public, um, you know, if we had a lot of those. Knock yourself out. So that yeah. is on the website fyi. Dot org. Dot, yeah, dot fyi.org.nz. And they can search on your name, Catherine Jameson. Yeah. And up it pops. I um I discovered a trick early on in my day or what would I say, lackluster political career, which was um rather delicious. And we used to have written parliamentary questions. And you'd put in a written parliamentary question to the minister, and they had five working days to get back to you. And I'd put in hundreds. I loved it. And you'd often get a bland answer. So then I put in an Official Information Act request for all the emails, memos, verbal communications. I had a lovely list um, that were to do from officials and staff and all the rest of it around the question. Oh, what a treasure trove of information because I remember in one particular case, 
the minister had given me a one-sentence answer to my question, which was like your one, just to, uh, you know, go away. There were pages. And the civil servants had written the answer for him in full, right? And he had declined to put that answer back to me in Parliament. But he had to reveal it under the Official Information Act. <laughs> and they were in those days not so careful about the Official Information Act and there were emails saying, oh, we can't release this to run the hide. He'll put this in the paper. <laughs> <laughs> Which was rather good. So I'm suggesting that perhaps you should also put in an official information request for all the emails and communications and phone calls that they've had and name all the sort of people that they would talk to and preparing each of those responses because there's got to be yeah. a paper trail mm. now funnily enough by the time I became a minister officials had got really good at putting little post notes on everything and also giving oral briefings that they then can't remember mm. and the little post notes could get pulled off official documents now look at this minister this is bad or whatever and just get pulled off so it wouldn't become part of the record and so they've developed delicious ways of getting around the official information act um such as that but i think that you might find a wee treasure trove by seeking the communications around the answer that he supplied a good suggestion yeah um I should also say that I had a funny thing when I was a minister because what I chose to do was as soon as something had gone to cabinet, I just banged it up on a web page. So I just had a policy of releasing everything after a cabinet meeting without care, everything. No one would look at it because they always think that bad stuff's hidden. I put the bad stuff out first because they never, no one would go, no, no, it was Phil Twyford who was always chasing me. And he was too lazy to go through hundreds of pages of documents to find the good stuff, right? And then six months later, he would put in a request for my stuff, some of which was quite damning, actually. And I'd say, no, I released that six months ago. <laughs> And the media would all lose interest, right? Because clearly it can't have been very interesting if it had been sitting on a web page for six months. And of course, that's what MedSafe should be doing. <laughs> well, if, they were, if they were clean and if they were up front, you just put everything out so that Kathy Jameson controls through and read everything to her heart's content. And then you say, look, we can't put this up because it's a painted or it's commercially sensitive or whatever. Okay, there's a line removed. But it's when they get obfuscatory, where they use every little wiggle thing that they have to stop you seeing it, that's when there's no good reason for that. No. There's only bad reasons for that. Yeah, that's what I and think. Unfortunately, you and I and a great many New Zealanders including our listeners, a great many amongst them, 
we're now deeply distrustful and deeply suspicious. And they have been playing with us and what they've been sticking in their arms, they won't even tell us. Mm. Mm. Oh, my goodness. Well, Kathy, um, is there anything else you would like to cover with us? Oh, I see you have well, got something. Well, I just want to go back to remember when I was reading off the relevant public interest considerations and um, there was one that was accountability for regulatory agency function, and I said I'll come back to that. Well. Very topically, um, as you were just saying, you know, if you were MedSafe, you'd just put it out there in plain sight. Well, this is what they've got on their on their webpage. In carrying out its functions, MedSafe is accountable to the Ministry of Health and through the Ministry to the Minister of Health. That's what you'd expect. It is also accountable to the pharmaceutical industry for those activities which are funded by fees collected from the industry. Hmm. Now, did you, were you on the understanding that our medical regulator, medicines regulator, was accountable to the pharmaceutical industry? I would have thought it's directly not accountable to the pharmaceutical industry, I would have thought we are there to regulate the pharmaceutical industry and to keep them honest. They That's can't hard. be accountable to the pharmaceutical industry. Also, the fact that the pharmaceutical industry pay them a fee is for the purposes of going through the process so they can sell their product. Hmm. They are not a customer. They're mm. a supplier, and MedSafe is a regulator. It is not. It cannot be accountable to those that it is regulating. That's like saying, um, "Oh, I'm going to be putting in um, some pipes down the road uh, that are carrying gas." And they need to be checked by the people that check these things to ensure that they're safe for the public. And I have to pay them the fee to check it to see that it's safe from the product that, to the public. That's part of my doing the business. And then the person that's checking that pipeline says, oh, I'm accountable to the person whose pipes I'm checking. Or the engineer that's checking that the building's safe. He's, he, he or she is not accountable to the building owner. That's crazy stuff. And of course, when talking about a building owner versus a pharmaceutical industry, which has a history of doing very, very bad stuff. Yeah, well, I was quite surprised to read that MedSafe is accountable to the pharmaceutical industry. <laughs> But it explains a few things. It's a bit like the minister getting up in front of you at church saying he's accountable to the devil because he's trying to regulate him or get him under control or something. Do they say anything about the public and being accountable to the public? I haven't got the page up, but not that I recall, no. I'll have another look. Um, I'll send I'll send you that link too, so you can. I put am it. accountable. MedSafe is accountable to the farm, so that's like the pharmaceutical industry can call them in and say, 
account to us for that decision. I'm speechless. Hmm. You're wonderful. Anything else, Kathy? Uh, no, that's it for today. Look, um, I do want you to keep in touch because I'm sure MedSafe are busy away, bearing, beavering away. Um, I, if having had it explained, listeners may want to go on fyi.org. I can't remember. It might be fyi.org.nz, but it's a very popular site. So if you Google FYI, you'll come up. Search for Catherine Jameson, and you'll see these trail of um, questions would have put through the site to MedSafe. And you can add there that you'd quite like to know the answers too, because that adds weight to the question and also adds weight to the ombudsman's interest, uh, ultimately, for when the complaint goes there. And you can also, there's a button that you can follow. So um, the request, so when I get an answer, you'd be notified. Hmm. So you can keep up with what happens. I did not know that. How wonderful. I will I will click that button. Kathy Jameson, um, the nerd of nerds, our chief nerd. I, I think I prefer to be called Sally. <laughs> <laughs> well, you look like a Sally. I, I don't know if I told you this, uh, but every time I talk to you, I feel as though I'm talking to my dear mother. You're so much like you, your way you laugh, the twinkle in your eye, your your sense of devilment your uh, pricking of authority. Oh, my goodness. It's so wonderful. Uh, I've been speaking with Kathy Jamieson, uh, who's our chief researcher. Let's say that. Um, you're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on Rally Check Radio. You can text me at 2057. Email me, inbox at rallycheck.radio. What a gem. What an insight. What the hell do MedSafe think they're doing? Goodness knows doesn't sound like it's good for us can't trust them this is real talk with rodney hyde tuesdays and thursdays from 10 a.m